I bring you good tidings, good news, that shall be of great joy to all people, the angel said. That is the good news. But sometimes the bad news seems to weigh heavy on our hearts, especially at this time of the year. And uh, this year I was doing something a little different. I was going with, uh, with Sam uh, through an Advent devotional. And I really enjoyed that. It was something that I haven't really done and, and spent a lot of time since I was a child going through Advent again. And it was nice to read. And there was this particular set of verses a day that really stuck out to me. And I want to share them with you this morning. So if I can have you all stand up, we're going to read the, the word of the Lord. So this is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And you at one time were strangers and enemies in your minds, as you expressed through your evil deeds. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you holy, without blemish, and blameless before him. If, indeed, you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak your words this morning, God, that you will not let a word utter out of my mouth that you don't want. God, that you will just speak to us and give us hope this morning. In Jesus' name we say, amen. All right, you may be seated. So uh, I, uh, it was that last verse in that that just hit me so strongly. If indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Everybody should know, what does the gospel mean? Good news. You remember Children's Church, right? So the gospel is the good news, and what gives us hope is the gospel. It's the good news. And so, if indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm, without shifting from hope, now, I, I tend to read news. I, I like to keep up with what's going on. And sometimes, as you saw, news seems hopeless. How do we live with hope when we live in a world like this? It's the number one question of my generation. The reason birth rates are declining so much is people at, in my generation, in the millennials, are saying, I don't want to bring a child into this world. See, what they have is lost their hope. Because what I know is that I serve a God who has good news. And my hope isn't based on the circumstances of the world. It's based on the good news of the gospel. See, Paul is writing in this letter to the Corinthians, and the entire first chunk starts out with this thing called a Christological exposition. That's your $5 pair of words for the day. 
right? What it is, is just like in John, where the entire gospel of John points to Jesus as God, the entire first five verses point to Jesus as God, as Savior, as Messiah. And it breaks down exactly what it is that Jesus did for us. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, why did Paul write that giant chunk in there and just lay out exactly what it is that God the Father did through Jesus Christ? See, in Colossians at the time, there was a sect of Gnosticism, and it was a heretical sect, and, and so they didn't believe that Jesus Christ was truly God. But let me tell you, it doesn't get any more clear than he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. And so Paul is writing saying, the good news is this, Jesus Christ is God. He is the firstborn over all creation, and God so loved the world that he died on the cross, that he made peace with mankind, and he reconciled us to him, that Christ was the firstborn from the dead. Jesus already been there. We don't got to worry about it. We are the church, those who follow after. That is what Paul is telling us here. And that is the hope, the good news that we should live in. But we live in a hopeless world. So how is it that in a hopeless world we live with hope? Jesus gives us this uh, wonderful story in Matthew 25. There's two parables. The first thing we have to do to live with hope is be prepared. Right? Uh, I'm trying to remember this morning we were talking about preparation in the worship team. And it was um, perfect preparation prevents. Um, uh, yeah. Poor performance. Yes, that's right. Perfect <laughs> practice prevents poor performance. Right? And so we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. So Matthew 25, 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of the virgins were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them, but the wise ones took flasks of olive oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was delayed a long time, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. I don't know about you, but there have definitely been times where I come home because I'm late at work and my wife is asleep. The bridegrooms fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom is here! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the wise, uh, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there won't be enough for us and you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived. Those who were ready went inside with him at the wedding banquet. And then the door was shut. 
Later the other virgins came too, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I, I don't know you. Therefore, stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. Other translations say, stay prepared, for you do not know the day or the hour. See, there's a difference between alertness and preparedness. The purpose of this story is not to call us to alertness. Right? This isn't the story of Jesus and his disciples in the garden beforehand where Jesus is praying and he comes back and the disciples had fallen asleep. That was a call to alertness. But in this story, both the foolish and the wise virgins did what? They fell asleep. The bridegroom was long in coming, and so they both slept. Not, they weren't chastised by the bridegroom. This isn't about them being alert, right? They all knew the bridegroom was coming. So if you've ever been to a, a, a true, like, Hasidic Jewish, uh, you know, Orthodox Jewish wedding, it's a process that usually takes at least one, if not two weeks, right? So there's the giving of the bride by the family, and then they, they go to the groom's house, and then on a different day, there's the wedding ceremony, and then they go to consummate the wedding, and then there comes the wedding feast, right? So the bridegroom has gone, and the virgins are expectantly awaiting his arrival. They know what's about to happen. They're coming in to a feast, and these feasts routinely lasted seven days. Could you imagine, like, Daryl, I'm, I'm excited for your wedding, but, bro, if it goes past, like, 7.30, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure, right? Like, if you start going seven days, I'm going to need a nap, right? Seven days to celebrate is incredible. But that's why the virgins had to bring the extra oil. They knew that their lamps needed to light for the entire duration of the feast. And so the ones that brought oil were prepared. The ones that didn't were not. The virgins that were foolish asked the other virgins, hey, bring me some oil. Give me some of yours. I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite sayings that I've learned from Tamara, which is, a lack of preparation on your part does not constitute an emergency on mine. Right? Um, it wouldn't have mattered if the unprepared half were alert Right? Had, had the, the wise virgins fell asleep and the foolish virgins stayed awake, they still were not prepared. See, the issue is not whether or not they were expecting. They were all expecting. The issue is some were ready and others thought, I have time. I'll go deal with it later. It's not a big deal. You can share. What's a little oil between friends? If they sacrificed their preparations, they wouldn't have been able to be fully prepared for the feast. Right? In our own personal lives, we must be prepared. What does that look like? How are we prepared? Are we living our lives like, well, Jesus is coming back, but it's probably not today. Right? I've got, I've got a little bit of time. Or are we living our lives with the expectation that Jesus is coming in 10 minutes, and I'm ready. Right, I'm going to take a nap. Jesus, will, I'll hear a trumpet, right? But I'm ready. My bags are packed. I know where I'm going. Are we expecting and prepared or just expecting? 
See, those who went in, they were not just at the right place at the right time. They were at the right place doing the right thing at the right time. I'm reminded of, uh, I don't know uh, if husbands, if any of you guys will ever uh, agree with me on this story, but my wife will sometimes leave on a Saturday, right? Saturday is kind of my day off. And, um, and so uh, either it's uh, when she goes away on a longer trip, like she went down to New Mexico to visit her grandma a couple years ago. And I like make these lists of all these things I'm going to do in my head because I want to bless my wife. Right? And this same thing happens on Saturdays. right? I'm like, I'm going to clean the entire house because I want to bless my wife. But it's Saturday. It's kind of my day off. You know, okay, so she's got to drive over the pass. It's 35 minutes. She's going shopping at two different stores. That's two hours and 35 minutes back. So I've got about three hours. If I just, like, I'm going to relax, and uh, then in two hours I can get up and clean the house. Plenty of time, right? That never works. <laughs> Right, she comes in the door. I'm mopping the floor. Oh, hey, babes. I'm so, it's not like I haven't been expectantly watching her, like, Life 360 of, like, oh, no, she just left Coeur d'Alene. I've got to start now. Right? I was expecting her return, but I was not prepared. And so what ends up happening is she walks in the door, and I am now still cleaning. And what is her, fr oh my gosh, have you spent all day cleaning? Oh, no, no, huh? I, I've, I've only been cleaning for 20 minutes. I'm really sorry. I meant to get this started sooner. And if I had just been prepared, if I had flipped the order of events, if I had cleaned first and then relaxed, what would have happened? My wife would have walked in the door to a beautifully clean house, her husband relaxing on the couch. Hi, honey, can I help you with the bags? <laughs> a lack of preparation, but alertness is still a lack of preparation. So how do we become prepared? Jesus continues in Matthew 25 with we must be faithful. Right? And he, he said this earlier in Colossians. We're going to go back to it. But we have to be faithful. How are we faithful? For it is like a man going on a journey who summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The one who had received five talents went off right away and put his money to work and gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two gained two more. But the one who had received one talent went out and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money in it. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled his accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came and brought five more, saying, Sir, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master answered, Well done, good and faithful slave. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of our master. The one with two talents also came and said, Sir, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained you two more. His master answered, Well done, good and faithful slave. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. How many of you guys long to hear those words? Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received one talent came and said, Sir, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid 
and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you, you have what is yours. But his master answered, evil and lazy slave. So you knew that I harvest where I didn't sow and gather where I didn't scatter? Well, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And in my return, I would have at least made my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For the one who has will be given more, and he will have more than enough. But the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless slave into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, two of the slaves were prepared. They were faithful. They didn't know when the master was going to come back, but they knew he would return. And so it invited their actions to match what they knew. They went out and did. Right? They took five talents and turned it into ten, or two into four. Now, what's interesting here is we think of money as depositing it in the bank, and our money's mostly safe. Um, you know, depends on how much, but uh, what a problem to have. Uh, so you take your money, you put it in the bank, and you make interest, right? That's how it works, and you could take it out at any time. But in Bible days, it didn't work like that, right? You take your money to a guy that's a moneylender, and you're like, hey, here's my money. Go make it work for me. Yeah, might get it back if you can find the guy, right? There's no debit cards. There's no internet. You can't check your balance, right? There's no collections agencies. There's Brutus over there with a club, but that's about all you got. Like, I don't know what we're going to do here. And so the slave allowed fear to override his faith. Right? We have two slaves that remained faithful. They stepped out in that faith knowing that their master entrusted them with talents, with some sort of money. And all right, well, if my master thinks I can handle this, then guess what? I'm going to go for it and give it my all. And they saw a return on their investment. But the other slave got his money and he was like, man, my master, like, I don't trust this guy. I'm, I'm not going to be faithful. I, I, what if, what if, man, my master's a hard man. What if I don't get this money back? What if I don't have? What if, what if, what if, what if? What if the world ends? That slave allowed his fear to overwhelm his faith. He was safe, but he was stagnant. What a place to be. See, the talents were given to grow the master's kingdom. It was never the slave's money. It was their master's. God calls us to be prepared and to be faithful, not with our things. Like we sang in that last song, it's your breath in our lungs. It's not my breath. All the earth will shout your praise. My heart will cry. My bones will sing, Greater you, Lord, for it is your breath in our lungs. The Bible says that if we don't cry out to the Lord, the rocks will. Because as we read at the beginning of this, all things were created through him and for him. They are all his. Every atom in your body, every cell, every piece of structure in this planet, in this solar system, in this galaxy, in this universe, belongs to Jesus Christ, and we have no claim to any of it. So my hope comes from knowing that my master has given me talents, and I'm going to be faithful with them. Because if he gave them to me, he knows what he's doing. 
In Greek, the word faithful is pistos. Everybody say pistos. It means a person who shows themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. Right? One who has kept his plighted faith worthy of trust that can be relied on. Right? It's very much that, uh, that faithful servant, that faithful slave who follows through. But in the New Testament, it has another meaning. It means easily persuaded, believing, confiding, trusting. The one who trusts in God's promises. One who has been convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Who has become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and author of salvation. What did that very first verse that caught my eye as I was reading the Advent say? If indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm without shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard. Remain in the faith. Remain faithful. I am faithful understanding that I believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, has become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and the author of my salvation. That those first five verses in Colossians 1 that we read, all of those are true. I believe that. And so I have faith. I am remaining faithful. And then I am established and firm. That's prepared. The Greek word is thamelio. Everybody say thamelio. It means to lay the foundation, to found, to make stable, to establish or lay a basis for, to consolidate, to ground, to settle. Established and firm is prepared. How do you prepare for a house? You build a foundation. So we are to be faithful and prepared without shifting from the hope of the good news. And that brings us to the word. That was all the intro. We got 45 minutes left still. Don't worry. No, I'm just joking. Um, that was, uh, we have the word that I feel like God laid on my heart, which is that we forget sometimes that this is 2023 coming on 2024 A.D. For those of you that are a little old school, you might know what A.D. actually means. I talked with the youth group about this a couple weeks ago, and I asked, what does A.D. mean? And they all answered, after death. Well, hang on a second. If B.C. is before Christ and A.D. is after death, are we just not counting like the 35 years of his life? Is that right? And what, um, what A.D. actually means is Anno Domini. It is Latin for in the year of our Lord. What an awesome thought. You know, as uh, we recently had uh, a group here, you guys must, uh, might remember um, when we did the Christmas dinner, the Bridge Gospel Academy kids came and helped out and served, and they were fantastic. And I had the opportunity to teach a class for them on martyrs and missionaries. And one of the things that we talked about was in the Middle Ages and the Crusades. And it's interesting that in every official document, in every correspondence, in every conversation, when they referenced the year, it was always in the year of our Lord, 1473, right? Like in the year of our Lord something. How often do we say it's 2023, but what we forget is that is an abbreviation of AD, which is an abbreviation of Anno Domini. 
every time we say the year, it should remind us that I am in the year of our Lord, 2023. Are we prepared to the things of this world, faithful to our jobs and our hobbies, or are we faithful to the things of God? I, uh, I spent some time, it's dangerous, on Twitter, and uh, it, there's all of these predictions from all these news agencies. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but in 2024, civil war. Right? We're never closer than we've ever been in history to civil war. Famine. Right? Crops are drying up and are disappearing at the greatest rate. We don't have Ukraine anymore. Right? Market chaos. We don't know what the market's going to Is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? Right? People are jumping out of windows and then bouncing on a trampoline and jumping right back. Yay, we're all okay. Right? Like, <laughs> you never really know which way the market's going to go. Right? Uh, the world's going to end in 2024. Right? There's, a, there's an asteroid. It's like uh, Bazulu or or something, Nibiru, and, and it's, it's just going to hit Earth and we're all going to die. Uh, you know, my favorite one, which I pray for, is the return of Jesus Christ, right? Are we living like Jesus is coming back in 10 minutes? Are we, are we living like our wife is coming home and we're prepared? Or do you know she's coming home, but you're not living like it yet? See, Colossians 3, and this is the last set of scripture for the day, 1 through 4 and 12 through 17, tells us exactly how do we keep this hope? What does it look like to live focused solely on the things of God? Right? We watched that video at the beginning, and it was depressing. The things that have happened over the last year were not happy. We live in interesting times, which is not a blessing. It's a curse. And yet, our Lord says, it is the year of our Lord, 2023. It is God's year, not mine, not the newses, not anything else we've heard. It's God's year. So how do we live like it's God's year? Colossians 3, 1 through 4 and 12 through 17. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about the things above, not the things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. Verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. And to all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond. Let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart, for you were in fact called as one body to this peace. I'm going to read that again. Let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart. For you were in fact called as one body to this peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with all grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. There are ten things these verses lay out that we are called to do. We are called to seek the things above, number one. But not just seek them. Right? We should be focused on them. We should be striving for the things of heaven, for the growth of the master's kingdom. We should be working with our talents and the things that God has given us so that we can strive not for our own kingdom, not a kingdom here on earth, not my will, but thy will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm seeking the things above. But it's more than just my actions. It's really easy to do things, sometimes grudgingly. Fine, I'm going to vacuum. All right, I vacuum the house. I'm going to do the dishes. But I'm thinking about the things above, not the things on earth. I'm not just doing the action. My thoughts match. My thought life is one of praise and adoration that, God, thank you that I get to vacuum the floor because you have given me a vacuum cleaner and I don't have to sweep it with a broom. Right, God, thank you for all of your blessings. Thank you that I have dishes to wash. I thank you that you have blessed me abundantly. Thank you that, that as I'm sitting here at the end of a long day and somebody comes into the office and wants to talk to me and I want nothing more than to go home and see my wife, thank you that I have the ability to be your witness here on the earth, to use the talents that you have given me to hopefully bless someone. I'm not thinking about the things of this earth. I step into a situation and go, God, why am I here? You tell me. Now, I'm not saying I'm like this all the time. Trust me. Right? This is a struggle. This is what Christ says we are to strive towards. This is how we are to live. And it is a process of a lifetime to get from where we were. Colossians, Paul wrote, we are enemies of God's with our actions. We were his enemy. But now we have been changed. We have been transformed. And we're going to get there. But the peace of Christ is going to live within us. Number three, live with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Another word for patience is long-suffering. How many of you guys are excited to suffer a long time? But we live with a heart of mercy, of undeserved favor. When someone wrongs us, you know, you get body checked on the street, you know, what up, bro? It's not me. But what up, bro? No. It's, oh, sorry. You okay? Right, humility. Oh, I'm sorry. I bumped you. Gentleness. Can I pray for you? Patience. Long-suffering. You got that coworker that's always nagging, always causing problems. Right? You have a spirit of patience that isn't ours. I give patience. I am patient because God is so patient with me. I make mistakes. I have fallen. But number four, we forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. It's a hard one because there are times where we have been wronged, where something was done to us, and we, wanna, we want vengeance. We want justice. It's not even about vengeance. It's about making it right. Right? 
And Jesus said, I made it right with my blood on the cross. Don't take judgment for yourself. I forgave you. You can forgive him. The fifth is love. What is love? Perfect love casts out all fear. Love is the thing that Christ gave to us. He is the embodiment of love. Now, sometimes love is hard. Love brings correction. Love brings growth. Have the peace of Christ be in control in your heart. At the end of all of this, have the peace of Christ. It doesn't matter what the news says. It doesn't matter the predictions. It doesn't matter if I've got all the money in the world and I built a secret doomsday bunker under the parsonage. There's not one there. Don't look. Right? What matters is that I have peace that comes from the Lord. The circumstances of this world don't matter. Could you imagine being in Job's position? Uh, you have the, uh, you'd feel like, God, I have the right to say, like, hey, God, what's going on here? Like, my family's died. I lost everything I had. My wife's telling me to curse God and die. All of my friends are terrible and are telling, the, like, everyone that I must be a terrible person and have done something wrong. Like, God, what's going on here? What was God's response to Job? It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. God's response to Job was, um, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Oh, you weren't. Oh, okay. Maybe my plan then. I have peace knowing that everything was created in him, through him, and for him. That my God has a plan. And so in this moment, I may not see it. Joseph, as he waited in the well to be sold as a slave, didn't see the master's plan that would save God's chosen people. As he waited in the darkness of Pharaoh's dungeons, he didn't see the plan that God had to save him. But he was faithful and prepared. Everything he did, he did for the glory of God. He worked with everything he had for God's glory, and he rose. Right? Could you imagine going to prison, and you're such a good inmate, they make you warden? Right? Like, that was Joseph. He was prepared and faithful. And he became second in command over all the land of Egypt because he was prepared and faithful. And he knew whose year it was that he lived in. It's not his. It was God's. And he gave thanks to the Lord. Number seven, be thankful. If you're ever having a rough day, my wife and I have started doing this over the last six months. It's been fantastic. I come home. I'm exhausted. It's been a rough day. Things did not go right. My wife will turn to me and say, what are three things you're thankful for? You, my dogs, this house. Okay, what are three more things you're thankful for? You, no, you already said you, can't say you again. I'm thankful that God rose from the dead and that this is his world and his plan and I don't see it right now. Oh, you're thankful for that, are you? I thought you were just complaining. Ouch. Fair enough. And these last three are important. Not that the other seven weren't. But number eight, read the Bible. Right? He specifically says that, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom. Wow. Well, I've, I, you know, the Bible doesn't say you have to read the Bible. Well, I'm just saying. Seems like it says you should be reading the Bible. Is the word of Christ dwelling in you? And here's, here's a little fact. For the majority of human history, y'all couldn't read. People could not read. And you reading the Bible was somebody reading it to you. And so if you feel bad because you're like, man, I struggle reading the Bible, the Bible app will read it to you. It's on your phone. You can check it out at the library if you want it on tape. Right? It is available for you to have the word of Christ dwell in you richly, whether you can read or not. Number nine, worship. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with all grace in your heart to God. Do you come to church and sing some songs and worship and you feel good because you have that peace of God in your heart on Sunday mornings and then you walk out those doors and it's thunderstruck, right? And that's your week. Do you set aside time to worship the Lord? It's not just reading his word. We serve a God who is worthy of worship. That's not to say that other music is bad, right? We can have that conversation sometime. But are you intentionally worshiping God in your week? Are you singing hymns and psalms and praises to God Most High? And the last is the most important. Whatever you do in word, in word, the words that come out of my mouth, whatever I say, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever I say, whatever I do indeed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would I be willing to sign Jesus' name on my actions? Ouch. What about on my words? Man, that hurts. Would we be willing to sign creator of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, we are his emissary, and we do this in his name. With some of the tirades I've given, I wouldn't want to put his name on it. Are we his slaves, growing his kingdom in his year, or are we living in ours? Is this going to be 2024, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, 2024? where I pray for his return, but I work, I am prepared like he's not coming back because there are people out there who don't know his goodness. Right? We have been given talents. I'm not going to be the slave that sat on a talent and buried it in the ground. I want to grow it. I want to double it. I want to go out this year and say, God, this is your year. I don't care about the hardships that I'm going to face. I don't care about the things that are going to happen. I serve a God who is greater than circumstances, and I'm going to praise him. I'm going to do everything I can to grow his kingdom in this year. I'm going to start this year with a New Year's resolution, but not for me. A resolution that I want to see God's kingdom grow, and I'm going to do everything that I can to make that happen. That it doesn't matter our circumstances. It only matters our king. 
I have a God who has reconciled me, and it's time for me to live like it because this is the year of our Lord, 2024. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we go into a time of worship this morning, God, that you will truly bless us. God, a blessing is not something that you give us. It is not a a thing, a commodity that we get. It's not money. It's not status. God, a blessing is favor and attention. And I saw this fantastic uh, devotional where favor and attention means work. God, bless me with work. Bless me with the ability to grow your kingdom. God, I desire for your things this year. I want to see this year become the greatest year for the church, for revival. God, use me. God, I step outside. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands and my feet. Touch my heart and speak to me. God, use me. God, use me. Remind me that this isn't my year. This is yours. God, I praise you because you reconciled in 20, in in the year 01, you reconciled all of humanity to you through the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, through his sinless life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. God, you made us right with you, and we praise you. God, I pray that you will remind us of who you are and what you've done. God, that we will worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.